You are listening to the Grace Church of Mabton podcast. This week's sermon by Pastor Adam Copenhaver covers 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Cole, for reading our text. This is, I'll tell you right up front, this is one of the harder passages in the book of 1 Corinthians. There'll be a few more hard ones as we carry along, but today we have a challenging one in front of us as well. Recently, not too long ago, I had a conversation with a gentleman from the Tri-Cities, actually, and he made a comment, more or less, when he found out I was a pastor, he more or less said, in, in today's world, I don't know how churches are supposed to get people in the doors. What is, this is his question, what is the right recipe? What's the right recipe for getting people through the doors? Well, we know the gospel. We've seen in the last couple of weeks this gospel message that Paul says he proclaims. Back in chapter one, he talked about what he preaches in verse 23 of chapter one. We preach Christ crucified. This is the good news, Paul says, that we want to make known. This good news that Jesus has died for us. He's died for our sins. So when we put our faith in him, our sins are forgiven. We have new life. We saw last week, Paul says, this message, it's good news that we preach Christ crucified, but it also, face value, this message, it, Paul says, it seems foolish and weak that God's king would be killed on a cross. And yet, Paul says, this message that's foolishness and weakness, it's actually full of wisdom and power. It's God's plan for saving the world. This is good news. Gospel. As a church, we preach, we hold out this good news, and we know, we believe there is no other message in all the world that is as good as this message of Christ crucified. So, this gentleman in Tri Cities, he's asking kind of a rational question if it's such good news, why aren't people in our world streaming in the doors to hear? This message? Why aren't people coming to faith in Christ left and right? And what, if anything, should we do as a church about it? What's the recipe that will work? Our text today here, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it speaks directly to this very important question. And like I said, it's a confusing text. It's not, in some parts, it's not the easiest text to understand, but it has a lot to say about how we should go about ministry as a church and how it is that a person, any of us, would come to faith in Christ. And so we're going to see in this text what Paul is saying here is that we as a church, we have a responsibility to be faithful in making the gospel as clear as we can and then in trusting that the Holy Spirit will work through our message to bring people to faith. Okay, so here's our outline for today as we unpackage what all this Means. So this is, this is our outline here on the screen, again, in your bulletin, if you want to pull out that page and take notes as you follow along. Here's our outline for today. First, we'll talk about knowing Christ crucified, and we'll see in those first five verses where Paul describes his own approach to ministry. Second, we'll talk about imparting wisdom. How is it that we make clear the message of the cross? And then third and finally, we'll talk about the work of the Spirit, how the Spirit works in us to bring us to faith. Okay, so first, our first point, knowing Christ crucified. And here we're in the first five verses of chapter two. 
And here, it's, it's very interesting, these first five verses, Paul describes here his own ministry, how he conducted himself when he was present with the Corinthians, when he was actually in Corinth with these Christians. And so if you remember, we've said this over the last couple of weeks, that Paul, before he actually wrote this letter to them, Paul actually spent a year and a half in Corinth. And we, we learn about this time that he spent in Corinth back in Acts chapter 18. And Acts chapter 18 verse 4 says, here's what Paul did in the city of Corinth when he was there. He, this is Acts 18 verse 4. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Goes into the Sabbath, he's going to reason with them, he's trying his best to persuade people to put their faith in Christ. And then in Acts 18, we learn not everyone believed his message, but some did. And those who did were baptized and the church was started. And then Paul spent a year and a half there doing this work until eventually the Jews who were there, they became frustrated with Paul, increasingly angry with him. They drove him out of Corinth and they drove him out, they say in Acts chapter 18, because Paul was persuading people to follow Jesus instead of the Jewish laws and customs. So if we think back to Paul's time in Corinth when he was there preaching, reasoning with people, persuading people, we would probably say Paul had a very effective ministry in Corinth. He was working hard, he was preaching, and he was successful. Many people were persuaded to follow Jesus. A church was started. Now we come to 1 Corinthians. Paul's writing this letter, probably just a couple years later. It hasn't been that long since he was in Corinth, probably just a couple years later, we think. And in the first five verses of chapter two, Paul says, hey, you remember when I was with you doing all of that work? And now Paul gives his description, his recipe. Here's what I was doing when I was among you. And here's what he says in the first five verses. Now we read this This probably would have been shocking to the Corinthians to hear his perspective on all this. He says in verse one, I did not come, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Why, Paul says, because I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's that message Paul has said in chapter one, he preaches Christ crucified. I decided to know nothing but that, and then verse 3, here's more of his description. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech, my message, they weren't with plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now this would have been shocking for the Corinthians to hear. Again, remember the problem Paul is addressing. He's still working on addressing the same problem from the last couple weeks, that these Corinthian Christians have been quarreling with each other about which leader or teacher among the Christians was the most eloquent speaker. Who's the best preacher? Who's the most eloquent speaker? And some have decided Apollos, they're following Apollos. For others, it's Paul. For others, it's Peter. And these Corinthians, they thought, they brought this value with them from the world they lived in. They thought the recipe for effective ministry was all about eloquence. 
lofty speech, sounding really good, being super persuasive. And now Paul says, not just, well, you know, I'm not the most eloquent speaker out there, though that seems to be true of Paul, but he says, when I was with you, I didn't even try to be eloquent. That was never my goal. That's, That's the wrong recipe, Paul says. Instead, he says, here's the one thing that was the central piece of my ministry, the one thing that Paul was focused on. Paul says it's Christ crucified. And remember, Paul says, remember chapter 1, Paul just said, Christ crucified, it's a message of foolishness and weakness to the world. It's a silly message of Christ dying on the cross like this. And so Paul says, if the message itself is a message of weakness, then what kind of messenger should I be? How should I present this message? Paul says, I came to you with weakness. I didn't come using eloquent words, but plain, humble words to talk about Christ. And Paul says that was intentional. In verse 5, he says, here was my purpose for that. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the grace of God. So Paul's saying here to them, think about this, Christians. Do you want to believe in Jesus only because the the followers of Jesus, the preachers, they put on a great show? Is that what the foundation of your faith is going to be? Or do you want to believe in Jesus because the message Christ crucified is true and this is really God's grace to you? Back when... Susie and I were in college. We were, um, I think we were dating at this point. We were going to college in Indiana. She's from Florida. And so it was one of, or maybe the first time that I had road tripped with her and a couple of her friends, perhaps, from college down to her parents' home in Florida. So we're driving from Indiana to Florida. It's like a 20-hour drive or something like that. And as we're driving, we began seeing these billboards along the road, advertising a place called Ruby Falls. It's a, it's a, anybody heard of Ruby Falls before? This is in Tennessee. Okay, Susie has, yeah. You were there, as it turns out. <coughs> so we're, we're seeing these, these billboards for Ruby Falls. See Ruby Falls, stop and see Ruby Falls. These billboards stretch out from Ruby Falls for literally a couple hundred miles before Ruby Falls. You start seeing billboards for Ruby Falls. It's spectacular. It's this, it's that. And so as we're driving along, I'm thinking this, this might be a waterfall. You know, I like waterfalls. We should, we should check out this waterfall. And so we, we stopped at Ruby Falls and we paid our fee. And the, and the cool thing about Ruby Falls, I suppose, is that it's, it's an underground waterfall. So you take an elevator a couple hundred feet down into the into the ground and you're walking through this cave and you come out into a cavern and in this cavern there's a waterfall, water coming out of a rock and falling down into a pool. That's the advertisement. So we go down this, we paid too much money, we go down the elevator, we walk through this cavern, it's it's dark, and we get in this dark cavern where we can kind of hear a little trickle of water and then music starts playing 
And there's like lasers flashing around and like this big to-do. <clears throat> and kind of in the, <clears throat> in the background, you can see what was, to me, a trickle of water coming down into a puddle. And then it all goes dark and time to hoof it back out of there. This is, this is my memory of it. Susie might say it was a little better than that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. <clears throat> but I... I thought, I, I don't know that I've ever felt so duped in my life. 200 miles of billboards, and it worked. They got money out of my pocket for virtually nothing to see underground. All that hype and buildup, this pathetic little waterfall. But then just a couple days ago, someone asked me, hey, Adam, what's your favorite national park? And this is someone who you knew, like some of you know, we, we like to go to national parks. We've been to a lot of them, maybe 20 or 25 national parks. So what's your favorite national park? And I don't know that I have a favorite national park. There's so many good ones, but the one that we like to talk about is Great Basin National Park. Now, how many of you have even heard of Great Basin National Park? Maybe a few of you, maybe from us if we've talked about it. I hadn't, I'd never heard of Great Basin National Park. Until a few years ago, we're on a road trip, and I'm looking at the map, planning out this road trip, and realize, hey, there's a national park right in the middle of our route. We should take a couple days and check this out. It's in eastern Nevada. What's in eastern Nevada? Great Basin National Park, apparently. We stopped there, and there were no signs leading up to it. It was barely a bump in the road, a sign telling you maybe to turn off because the park's over here. We go into this park, and we were amazed by what this park had to offer. Dark skies for amazing stargazing, a cave to explore, bristlecone pine trees, which are pretty much the most amazing trees I've ever seen in my life. No hype, no billboard, no, nothing like this, but the park just speaks for itself. And every time we turned around, it had more and more and more to offer us. Okay, so back to our text. Paul says, how do you think faith in Christ ought to work? Do you, <clears throat> do you want to put your faith in Christ, Paul says, simply because I'm a great salesman, overwhelmed with great speaking, because there are so many billboards out there telling you about how great Christ is? And then you find out down the road, the message is Christ crucified, a message of weakness, and then you feel like, that's not what I thought I was signing up for. I thought I was signing up for something brilliant, something eloquent. Paul says, that's, that's not a good approach to coming to faith in Christ. Paul says, I want your faith to be genuine from the beginning, based on God's grace, based on the truth of the message of the cross. The gospel, Paul says, it stands on its own. It speaks for itself. It doesn't need gimmicks from its messengers. Several years ago, I knew a man who was a very successful salesman and businessman. And I asked him, what is your secret to success? How do you do so well in sales? And he said, it's all about having the right product. If you have the product that people need, it sells itself. You just have to show them how the product will meet their need. You don't have to convince them. They already want it. Paul says, I came with weakness to you, fear, trembling. 
Simple speaking. And guess what, Paul says to these Corinthian Christians, you still believed. How did that happen? Because Christ crucified is the good news you needed, and it sells itself. And you believed. Okay, so now we think about what Paul is saying here in these five verses. Is Paul giving us then permission, maybe not just permission, but is he instructing us even, that we as Christians should do lousy work when it comes to the gospel? Does this mean that the lousier my preaching is, the better? Well, I, wouldn't that be great? I could get behind that. Does it mean that the lousier our worship is and our singing, the lousier coffee we have as a church, the better? Because we don't want to get flashy and dress up the gospel too much. Well, Paul's not talking about being lousy or being lazy here. Instead, as we go to our second point about here about imparting wisdom, we'll see that what Paul is saying or what he seems to be getting at is that we should put our effort, as Christians, we should strive not toward eloquence and showmanship, but to, and this is the word I'm going to use to summarize what he's saying, but toward clarity. Clarity. So here's what Paul says now, our second point about imparting wisdom in verses 6 through 9. I should, you know, I should warn you that um, there's irony in, this, in these verses, verses 6 through 9. Here's the irony. I'm, I'm telling you that I think what Paul is saying here is that we need to be clear with the gospel. And yet in these verses where Paul seems to be making this point about clarity, he could not have hardly been less clear himself. Okay, so this is kind of a confusing passage, easy to misunderstand. It's been misunderstood often in the history of the church, I've misunderstood this for a long time, okay? So here's what Paul says. Okay, look at verse 7. Here's why it's misunderstood. In verse 7, Paul talks about a secret and hidden wisdom of God that the rulers of this age did not understand. Secret, hidden wisdom. In verse 8, he talks about something that God has prepared that no eye can see or ear can hear or heart can imagine. And so at first reading, when we read these kinds of phrases and what Paul is saying here, it sounds like Paul is saying something like there are secrets to the Christian faith that are only for the mature to know, that are hard to understand, that are hidden from most people. And if we go back to Paul's day, <coughs> there were... There were religions in Paul's day that operated like this. And in fact, today, historians will look back to the first century and describe these religions. We call them mystery religions in the first century. The reason we call them mystery religions is because they're mysterious to us, because they kept all their teachings and rituals very secret. They would have a temple, but nobody knew what actually took place inside that temple except people who were initiated into that religion. And once you were initiated in, then you were sworn to secrecy. And the deeper you got into the religion, the more secret it became and the more loyal you had to be to it. So they never wrote down, for example, what they did or what they believed. They didn't talk about it. 
And so today we look back, we know those religions existed, but what was going on in there? Nobody knows. It was a mystery. And so Paul, at first glance, we might think, is that what Paul is saying the Christian faith is? There are hidden secrets only the pastors know or only the super mature know. But when we read this passage more closely, we find that Paul is actually saying the exact opposite. That the Christian faith is not about hidden secrets, but it's about everything being revealed and made known up front. Okay, so, so we look at this passage. Let's read it a little more closely, these verses, or look at them more closely. In verse 6, he says that he, among the mature, he imparts wisdom. You might ask, well, what is the wisdom that he is imparting? Well, again, Paul has already said what his message of wisdom is. Back in chapter 1, verses 22, 23, 24, he said, the message that is wisdom from God is Christ crucified. That's the message. That's the wisdom. And so Paul says, I seek to preach this message to make it known to all people, including, he says, even the mature, even the most mature Christians, here's the message that we keep imparting. It's the same message. Christ crucified. This wisdom, Paul says, it's not the kind of wisdom in verse 6 of chapter 2, not the kind of wisdom that belongs to the rulers of this age, the people in the world who value eloquent speech that these Corinthians are all caught up in. This is not that same kind of wisdom. In verse 7, Paul says, he imparts a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now notice carefully how he says this. This wisdom Christ crucified, Paul says, yes, it's secret and hidden, but it used to be secret and hidden. But, he says, God decreed, God determined from the very beginning of time, before the ages, that this, what was hidden and secret, Christ crucified, would be revealed for our glory in our day, in our time. This is God's plan all along, Paul says that his son, Christ, would be crucified. It was hidden, Old Testament times. People didn't see this coming. They didn't understand it. In fact, Paul says in verse 8, if people had understood it, the rulers of this age, they would have never crucified Jesus. But no one understood what God planned to do. Verse 9, no eye saw what God was going to do. No ear heard and understood. No one could have even imagined what God had prepared for his people. Again, what is Paul talking about? He's not talking about heaven, eternal life, something like that. He's talking about Christ crucified, this message of wisdom. And in verse 10, Paul says, but now, yes, it was hidden. People didn't understand. But now God has revealed it through his spirit. God has made it known. And so Paul says, this is what my ministry is about, imparting wisdom, making known to you what God has now revealed, the message, Christ crucified. And so Paul says, in imparting this wisdom, I'm not holding anything back. There aren't any secrets to the Christian faith. And this is still true today. This is one of the things that amazes me about our Christian faith, that everything we believe as Christians, we seek to make known 
upfront. So there are no surprises for anyone, or there should be no surprises for anyone after becoming a Christian. There aren't hidden teachings that, well, once, once you believe, then maybe we'll let you in on this secret or that secret. And there are certainly things we don't understand or there's more that we try to teach, but it all revolves around Christ crucified. It's all there, all up front. And so Paul says, my goal in ministry is to impart this wisdom, to make it known, to speak with clarity about Christ crucified. So the message will be clear. There's a pastor who he's now retired. I, I think quite a few of you have heard of him. We've used some of his materials and Bible studies and things here at the church. A guy by the name of Tim Keller. Some of you remember the name of Tim Keller. He's, um, he's become quite well known in his later years of, of life and ministry, which is why we've ended up using some of his stuff here in our church. But if you've ever watched him speak or, or met him or anything like that, He's not a very flashy kind of person, Tim Keller. He's very down-to-earth and ordinary, but he's very good. And the reason why we use some of his books and things, he's very good at taking complex things and just making them easy to understand, making them clear. And I was watching a couple years ago, watching an interview he did. And in this interview, he talked about how early in his ministry, when he was a young man, probably in his 20s, first started pastoring, how the thing he realized he really needed to work on was being clear, learning to be clear. And he described how this was not easy for him, not easy for any of us, how he spent 10 years in his first church, and that was his goal. Help me, Lord, to be clear, to grow in clarity. And that desire that he had for clarity, that's what's driven his ministry. That's why when he was probably 55 years old and started writing a few books, people were like, this is really helpful. Here's somebody who has figured out how to be clear. His desire for clarity, in my mind at least, it aligns with what Paul is saying here. He's saying, if we put the pieces together, he's saying, I'm not trying to be eloquent in my speech because the message of Christ crucified can sell itself. But, he says, I do want to impart this wisdom of Christ crucified in a way others can understand. I want to be clear. That's where his effort is going. Not eloquence, but clarity. And so if we can use that language of recipe, this is, this is the kind of recipe that Paul is putting forward for his own ministry and, and for our church as well. That in everything we do, we want that gospel message, the core message, Christ crucified, to be as clear as possible so people can understand the message. That's what Paul is setting forward for us here. Christ crucified doesn't need billboards. It doesn't need eloquence. It doesn't need showmanship. It needs clarity. It needs to be imparted with clarity, with wisdom for those who are hearing. Okay, so if that's the recipe, if the gospel sells itself without the eloquence, give it some clarity, 
the gospel is going to sell itself, then we might ask the question, this is where Paul goes next, then why do so many people reject it, Paul? Why, when you make it clear in your preaching, why doesn't everyone believe? And at the same time, how is it that some people do believe? And so Paul next explains the important work of the Holy Spirit. And this takes us to our third and final point, verses 10 through 16. And now Paul describes what the Spirit does through ministry. And so remember now, the Holy Spirit, as Paul talks about the Spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. This is kind of our, our theology of the Trinity, that, that God is one in nature, one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is at work in our world. And now Paul describes the work the Holy Spirit is doing. So he begins by saying in verse 10 that it's the Holy Spirit who revealed what was hidden from God, this message Christ crucified. The Holy Spirit is the one who has revealed it to Paul. So verse 10, he says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And then in verse 11, Paul uses an illustration. He says, think about yourself. Who knows what you're thinking except you and your own spirit? Okay, so I look out at all of you listening to this wonderful message, or maybe it's a lousy message like we talked about, but I look at all of you and who knows what all of you are thinking right now in your minds? None of us knows what the other is thinking except ourselves in our internal person, our spirit. Paul says in the same way, who is it that knows the thoughts of God, the will of God? It's the Spirit who searches those things. So if we want to know God, the Holy Spirit is going to have to make God known to us. And so Paul says, and that's exactly what the Holy Spirit's done. He's revealed these things to us. Not only has the Holy Spirit revealed these things, but in verse 12, Paul also says it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to understand what's been revealed. Look at verse 12. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So Paul, he's, in one sense, he started out by speaking for himself. How is it, Paul, saying that I came to know these things, to understand these things, to have faith in Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying, I didn't figure this out because I'm smarter than everyone else. I didn't make this up. The Holy Spirit gave this to me. The Holy Spirit gave me the ability to understand. It's the work of the Spirit in me, Paul says. So now when Paul speaks about Christ, it's also through the work of the Spirit. So look at verse 13. So we impart this, Paul says, in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We aren't trying to use human wisdom, eloquence, Paul says. We're not using lofty speech, but we are using words, words from and through the Holy Spirit, the straightforward words that interpret, Paul says, or make clear these spiritual truths, in other words, truths from the Spirit, for spiritual persons, in other words, persons who have the Holy Spirit, in whom the Holy Spirit 
is working. And Paul will later say, in our text next week in chapter 3, verse 16, guess what, Christians? The Holy Spirit dwells in all of us, in all of you. If you know Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what, what is Paul saying in all this talk? Okay, He's saying when it comes to the good news, the message of Christ crucified being taught and passed along from person to person, it's all the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says it came to me through the Holy Spirit. My understanding is a gift of the Holy Spirit and my faith. And now when I speak and seek to impart it with clarity, with wisdom, it's the Holy Spirit's work that's producing those words, bringing that out of me. And the Holy Spirit is working in those who are hearing it. They are spiritual persons, persons affected by the Holy Spirit. And it's through the Holy Spirit that they receive these words, that they understand them, that they come to faith. That whole process is all the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet, all that work of the Holy Spirit, it's still being done through Paul's words, through the imparting of wisdom, which is why he is motivated to seek to be clear. So Spirit does all of the work. And yet, not everyone believes. In verse 14, Paul speaks of the natural man. This is the person who is not spiritual, the person in whom the Spirit is not working in this way to bring understanding and belief. And when they hear the very same message of wisdom from Paul or others, no matter how eloquently it's presented, Paul says they don't accept it. So look what he says in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Unless and until the Holy Spirit does his work in a person's heart, giving them the ability to understand and come to faith, they are incapable of understanding the gospel in such a way that they will come to put their faith in Christ. No matter who presents it to them, or how it's presented, they will not come to salvation except for the work of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, Paul says in verse 15, the spiritual person, again, Christians, people with the Holy Spirit, all of us as Christians, we have an ability to judge all things, Paul says. We, by, because of the Spirit's work, we have proper discernment of what God is doing in the world. We have a proper understanding of Christ crucified, the wisdom of God, the power of God. And so we should not be judged by others, Paul says in verse 15, by those who do not have the Spirit. They look at us and say, how foolish are you? This is weakness. Why would you believe such a thing? How can you live this way following Christ? It makes no sense to them because they don't have the Spirit working in them in this way. So Paul says, don't be judged by them. Don't try to accommodate them. Don't try to impress them. Don't try to repackage the message of the gospel as if, if I could just make it eloquent enough, then they'll want to receive it. When it comes down to the work of the Spirit. 
And then Paul wraps all this up in verse 16 by saying, hey, just in case you haven't caught it yet, I'm not making this stuff up. It all comes from the mind of the Lord. And who can understand God so well that we instruct him? None of us can. We simply receive what he has given to us, the mind of Christ, a way of thinking in terms of Christ and him crucified. That's what shapes our thinking, and this is where it leads. So at the end of it all, this entire process of faith, hearing the gospel, understanding the gospel, believing the gospel, trusting in Christ, speaking the gospel, all of it is the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is why, to go full circle, why is Paul saying all this? What's going on in Corinth, all that? This is why we cannot boast. When someone comes to Christ, we don't say, look at what I did in bringing them to Christ. Look at what our church did. Boy, aren't we glad we had an eloquent preacher who can bring people to Christ, not like those other preachers. Aren't we glad we're a church that has the right recipe? We don't boast because it's the work of the Holy Spirit. We give credit and glory to God, not ourselves. So we don't boast if we have success. People come to Christ. On the other hand, it's also why, as Christians, we don't get discouraged. Why aren't people coming to Christ? What are we doing wrong? We must have the wrong recipe. If we could just do things the right way, then people would come to Christ. No, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Unless and until the Holy Spirit does his work in people's hearts, even our best efforts won't save anyone. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But that's not an excuse to be lazy. We still have a responsibility, like Paul sets forth here, to be clear, to impart the message, and to do it as clearly as we can, the message of Christ crucified, because it is through our words, through those efforts, that the Holy Spirit does his work. And so even here in our church, this is what should be shaping our approach to how we live as Christians, to how we do ministry in our lives and together as a church. Like Paul, our resolve ought to be Christ crucified. That's the center of everything we do. That's the good news. That is the message from beginning to end for us as Christians. That's what motivates us. And we want to be as clear about it as we can. And that clarity applies certainly to me and my role. I think this is, sounds like the pastor's just preaching to himself today. Well, pretty, yeah, I am. It applies to me in preaching. The goal is to be clear. Not necessarily fancy or eloquent. Clear. But it trickles out into everything we do as a church. This is what we put our effort into with our teaching ministries, Sunday school, cultivate. We want clarity about Christ crucified. It's why we put effort into our music, for example. We want our music to be clear about Christ, about worshiping Christ. 
And if we get sloppy about it, then the message gets obscured. It's not clear. It's why we want to greet people and welcome them well when they show up on Sunday because it clears away the distractions to be ready to hear the clear message of the gospel. It's why we want to love people well in our community. Why do we reach out to people in love in our community? Because we want to show the love of Christ in our community with clarity. Whether it's having meals together, bringing people in to cultivate having a meal together, inviting them into our worship service. For many of us, it's serving over at the food bank on a regular basis in the way of Christ, making the love of Christ known, Christ crucified. For all of us in our daily lives, when we go to work, when we're at home, in our communities, with our neighbors, and all we do, Christ crucified at the center. How can my life make this clear? How can my words make this clear, this good news, this message? And then, Lord willing, in his time, in his way, by the Holy Spirit, the Lord uses these things to bring others to faith in Christ. To be honest, one of the things I, I marvel at more than any other is when some of you tell your stories of coming to faith in Christ, and especially, if, if I can say this, especially for those of you who have come to faith in Christ through, in some way, the ministries of our church family here. And when you tell your story, and we did this Wednesday night at Cultivate, some of us with the adult class were sharing some of these stories. When you talk about how, how you met some Christians, and you know they invited me to come to church, and then I heard about Christ in what the church was talking about in Sunday school or church service or wherever. And then you describe how you came to faith in Christ through that and decided to give your life to Christ and you have new life in Christ and so on. Every time I hear a story like that, it leaves me speechless. It's, it's just so humbling to think that God would use us in that way to do such an amazing work in your life. And it's marvelous. It's a marvel to think about. And we can only say, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm the pastor and I'll be the first to say, I don't have a magic wand that I wave and put faith in people's hearts. I don't have a recipe for that. The Holy Spirit does that work. And yet, part of the marvel is the Holy Spirit uses our labor as we seek to make the good news of Christ crucified known as clearly as we possibly can. What an, isn't that an incredible thing to marvel at? So let's make this our ongoing resolve as a church family to know nothing but Christ crucified and to strive for clarity, making this good news known in our world. And then this is our prayer, that God would continue to work in us and through us by his Holy Spirit so that through the work of the Spirit, more people will hear this message, understand, and come to faith in Christ. Amen.
This has been a podcast from Grace Church of Mabton. For more information, visit our website at mabtongbc.org.